Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right. Um, hey, let's uh, turn to Acts chapter 3, if you would, this morning as we're working our way through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3 deals with the healing of the lame man. We'll be looking at this morning. And, and what I wanted to do is not just kind of go through this story, um, but I wanted to see what kind of lessons can we glean from this, uh, from this work of the Holy Spirit. And this is a true work of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it said, Many signs, excuse me, many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And, you know, we don't know all of those many signs and wonders that were done, but this particular uh, wonder, this particular miracle was recorded. The Holy Spirit chose to have this recorded for us, and I believe it's to show us um, how the Holy Spirit works and, uh, and just to give us an example, things that we can glean from that. So that's my prayer this morning as we work through chapter 3. You know, I was looking at this and I go, you know, this is a bona fide true work of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that as we get to, to the end of the chapter. It's a true work of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I say that is because there's a lot of things today that are portrayed as being a work of the Spirit. And not everything is. Some are a work of the flesh. Some are a work of a different spirit. And so I think as we go through this, hopefully I'll be able to kind of show us, you know, we'll, we'll learn some things as we go through this. So beginning with verse 1, Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So as we start this story here, and we work our way through the book of Acts, Peter and John are going to be the main characters for the next, well, we're in chapter 4, so for a couple more chapters, all the way through to chapter 6, um, Peter and John are the main characters. Then the story switches to a character by the name of, of Stephen. We'll look at that. And then after that chapter, the rest of the book of Acts is pretty much uh, stories about what Paul and his ministry, or Saul of Tarsus, as it starts out. So, But right now we're looking at Peter and John. And they went. it says that they went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth, uh, the ninth hour. That would have been approximately 3 p.m. our time. So it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 53, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, that the disciples, after Pentecost, are continually going to the temple to praise and bless God. And here, of course, they are going to pray. And so they're doing this as on an ongoing basis. And, uh, okay, so Jesus is the sacrifice for sins. Do they really need to go to the temple? Well, as I shared a couple weeks ago, Temple, being involved in, in Israel um, at that time, uh, if you were a Jewish person, if you were born in Israel, temple life, I mean, that was part of your culture. It wasn't just your faith. It was, it was every part of your life, M much like uh, in many Muslim countries. You know, if you're, if you're born in a Muslim country, you're Muslim, whether you are or not. You're just considered Muslim. Well, it was kind of that way in that time, too. And so what I see here is that um, they're still engaged in their culture. And I think that's an important thing. 
Because you and I today, we have jobs, maybe we go to school, we're, we're involved in our community, and we need to be salt and light in our community. And I see that's exactly what the apostles were doing. They weren't just huddled up in this holy huddle in the upper room, like, you know, waiting for Jesus Christ to return, because, you know, they believed he would come at any time. No, they're out there ministering. And the temple, the third hour, by the way, it was the hour of prayer. Um, the hour of sacrifice, I think, was at uh, the middle of the day. So this is the time of prayer the evening sacrifice. You know, it's interesting. I, I thought, you know, it's kind of the ninth hour. Is there anything significant about that? And as you work your way through the New Testament, there are a few significant events that occurred on the ninth hour. Uh, for example, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, we read in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama samachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That occurred at the ninth hour. Later on in Acts chapter 10, there's going to be this Italian guy, Guido. No, his name is Cornelius. His name isn't Guido. <laughs> and uh, he's a centurion, Roman centurion. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, at the ninth hour, he's a devout, he's praying to the Lord God. And at the ninth hour, he gets a vision of a man coming to him. And that man would be Peter. And that would be the start of the gospel going to the Gentiles. That's a very pivotal thing. So the ninth hour, a lot of things happen at the ninth hour. A lot of things happen, you know, when we pray. I mean, we prayed this week for this young man, Brady, and God answered his, our prayers and, and the prayers of his parents and all his loved ones. It's benign, you know, it's not, it's not cancer. That's an honest, that's an answer to prayer. And so prayer, a lot of things happen when we pray. And, you know, I just have to ask you this rhetorically. Do you expect the Lord to respond when you pray? I mean, do you, do you just pray for this? You know, you know, Christians, we pray, you know. Or do you actually expect that the Lord's going to do something? Because he will. He, he, he answers prayer. So the first thing, though, that I think we can glean about this work of the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 3 is that Peter and John are in the right place for a work of a spirit. And the reason why I bring that up is because some people think atmosphere creates the, 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 the place for the Holy Spirit to work. You know, we might have candles or a dark room or in stillness. Uh, maybe we need to have the mood set just right. You know, we, we got to get the mood so that, so that the Holy Spirit shows up. Or maybe we need to whip up our emotions so that the Holy Spirit shows up. That's not, that's not what, uh, what's happening here. They are in the right place for a work of the Spirit. I'm not referring to a geographical location. I'm not referring to their actions. But their heart and their mind is prepared for a work of the Spirit. Paul wrote this in Romans 8.5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. If you're walking after the flesh, if that's your focus during the day, your heart and your mind will be set on the things of the flesh. And the point is, it's very easy to miss the prompting of the Holy Spirit when you're all caught up in your flesh into what you're doing. It's very easy to miss the prompting of the Holy Spirit or to find yourself totally unprepared for what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. I've had that happen in my own life. Walking in the flesh and all of a sudden I get this opportunity to minister and I'm like, oh... And I, I just fall, trip all over myself. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you and use you 
But if you're full of the things of the flesh, you're not going to have room for more of his presence and more of his power to flow through you. I was a uh, Coast Guardsman. Uh, the sailors, the Navy liked to call us knee-deep sailors or, or uh, you know, shallow water sailors, whatever. They, we had all the nicknames. But anyways, the motto for the Coast Guard is Semper Paratus. And that means always ready. Because as a Coast Guardsman, you are always ready to go out and save a life because that's, that's their main mission is go out and rescue people. And that was, we were always prepared. We were running drills. We were making sure our equipment's ready. We were always on the thing like you never know. So you want to be ready. You know, I don't believe Peter and John set out that morning to heal someone. Hey, John, let's, go to, let's, let's see if we can heal someone. Let's see if that, if that works because this is the first time, right? The first miracle through Peter and John. But the point is, they were in a place of readiness for the Lord to work through them. And I think that's an important point. Verse 2, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. I always think it's kind of interesting when it says a certain man, you know, or an, it, because we don't know his name, and his name really is germane to the story. It's what happens to him. That's the key for us. And so he's laid daily at this gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Now, Josephus writes this. He says, nine of the gates were covered all over with gold and silver. Likewise, the side posts and lintels. But there was one without the temple of Corinthian brass, which in dignity greatly exceeded the silver and golden ones. And a lot of scholars think that was the eastern gate leading into the court of the women. And if that's true, it would make sense. If, because if you think about it, both men and women would be entering through that gate. And so if you were to ask for alms, you want to go where there's the most foot traffic. So that would make sense. Hey, I'm going to sit here because this is where, all, this is where it's happening. And so uh, it would make sense because that would have the most foot traffic. Asking alms from those who enter the temple, location is important. Location, location, location. Why? Well, think about it. You've got good foot traffic. You've got great timing because people are going to worship the Lord and maybe they're thanking the Lord for what he's done in their life or they're, you know, and they're, they've just, they're just in a thankful mood or a worshipful mood and probably generous. Or which you don't care as long as you get money, right? Or they're showing up and they just want to appear very spiritual. So they're going to throw something in your cup, you know? It doesn't matter, right, to a beggar. They just, they just hey, this is, the, this is the makes the most sense. So either way, it was a good timing and a good place for asking for alms. And then in verse 3, it says, Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. Now what we're going to find out in a little bit is that this man was about a little bit over the 40 years old, so at least 40. And he had been there pretty much every day as an adult anyways, maybe as a child too, I don't know. So more than likely, this was not the first time that Peter and John passed this guy. More than likely, they've seen him there before. But this time, things are different. Verse 4. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So they gave him his attention. Ex uh, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. 
Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So picture the scene. Here's these guys. They're going to worship Jesus, right? They're going to worship the Lord God. They've been saved. They, they know who they're worshiping. They're not worshiping because they're trying to earn their salvation. Man, they are going to worship the Lord. And what a spiritual thing to be doing, going to worship and going to pray. And now on their way, they get interrupted by someone, a beggar asking for alms. How annoying is that? You know, I mean, hey, they've got their, they got to make it in there, you know, at the ninth hour. They're on their way. Well, that interruption to Peter, Peter and John's spiritual routine, what they were doing was good. But it's a divine appointment. The Holy Spirit has a way of doing that. You know, if I am all about my schedule, and I'll be honest with you, there are times when I am all about my schedule. I've got my focus, and, you know, I, I get upset if things kind of get me off course there. You guys never deal with that, I'm sure, but that's the weakness of your pastor anyways. But listen, if I'm all about my schedule, all about my plan, when a divine appointment happens, because they do happen, I might miss seeing it. Or I might chalk it off as a disturbance to my routine. And the Holy Spirit has a way of just causing those divine things to happen. God will cause our paths to cross with individuals. And very often the Holy Spirit works through divine appointments with an individual. Not always a big group. It's sometimes, quite often, it's with one person. And I think of like Philip and the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. We'll get to that later, um, later as we work our way through Acts. But it's so important to see the individual. My encouragement to you is don't miss the individual's that God puts in front of you. I know sometimes as a pastor, you know, I, I, several people, you know, they're coming and we're talking after church and every once in a while, I'll just sense, I need to, I need to stay with this person and talk. You know, the, the, it's like the Spirit speaking to me, focus on this. Yeah, those other people, they'll talk to somebody. Focus on this. And that can happen. But if you're all about your own schedule, you can miss those opportunities. So I'm, my encouragement to you is don't miss the individual's that God puts in front of you. Or these bus cards. Pray for a divine appointment. The Lord won't disappoint you. He'll give you a divine appointment. And then don't miss that opportunity. And so what do Peter and John say to this man? And I think this is an important thing. They say, silver and gold I do not have. You might say, whoa, whoa wait a second. <laughs> wait a minute. What about the prosperity teachings? You know, what about the prosperity doctrine? Listen, I want to show you a few quotes. And uh, I, I, it's not, I'm not focusing on the individual, but I want you to pay attention to what they're saying. Because I think this is key. This is one of the quotes. Do you know why God wants you rich? So you can do more. The wealthier you become, the more responsible you are to God. God wants you rich. Here's another quote. Well, I need to hear about money. Oh, excuse me. Well, you need to hear about money because you ain't going to have no love and joy and peace until you get some money. These are people that are teaching out in the world here today. Here's another one. I've never had the Lord say, Jesse, I think that car is a little bit too nice. 
I've had vehicles and the Lord said, would you please go park that at your house? Don't put that in front of my house. I don't want, a people, I don't want people to think I'm a poor God. The person that said that, I love his accent. I love listening to him, but it's, it's, it's not good doctrine. It's not good teaching. Here are a couple trustworthy quotes that I think you can take to the bank. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. That was the Apostle Paul. That's a quote from him, 1 Corinthians 4.11. Here's another one. And Paul is talking about him and the rest of the apostles. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. There's a big difference in those teachings. Big difference. And so Peter says to the man, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. And of course he then uh, tells him to rise up. Giving what we have. You know, you can't give out what you don't have. You can't give out what you don't have. I I like what Paul writes in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And he wrote this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Man, what are you filling yourself up with? Because if you're, you can't give out what you don't have. You can fake it, but it ain't going to be very successful. And so what does Peter say? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this man's physical condition really is a picture of man's spiritual condition apart from Christ. Think about it. He's physically lame from his mother's womb, from birth. And you know, you and I, before we come to faith in Christ, we are defective from birth. We are spiritually lame from birth. The beggar sat outside the temple. I won't say call him the beggar, but the lame man sat outside the temple, unable to enter himself. And again, without Christ, that's a picture of men and women who are unable to approach the throne of glory. And this man had to beg for his livelihood. You know, they didn't have an Israelis with Disability Act. At least I'm not aware of it anyways. He was poor. And without Christ, everyone is spiritually poor. You know, Jesus said, you could gain the whole world. You could be the most wealthiest person on this planet. But if you don't have Christ, you forfeit yourself. You can forfeit your soul in hell. And so this man was spiritually poor. The other thing I see is he didn't know what his true need was. Right, his, he's thinking, man, if I could just get some money for the day, I'll be all right. What he didn't realize was that the Holy Spirit wanted to completely transform his life. Verse 7, this is what Peter did. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This was a genuine work of the Spirit. In this case, the gift of healing. And the gift of healing, if it's, if it's of the Spirit, it's going to be genuine. It's, not going, to, it's going to be verifiable and it's not going to be contrived. And again, looking at it from a spiritual side, this man's physical healing is also a picture of spiritual healing when a person turns to Christ. Think of it. His healing was immediate. The minute you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are born again, you have eternal life, you are sanctified in God's presence. In other words, if your next breath was your last breath and you died, you'd go to heaven. You'd be in the presence of the Lord. That's that's uh, what you call positional sanctification. But there's also practical sanctification, and that's the Holy Spirit working in each one of us, trying to make us more like Jesus Christ as we proceed through our lives. This man is now able to walk. He's now able to have a walk with the Lord spiritually. And he needed to walk, but now he can. And for you and I as believers, when we, when we accept Christ, you know, we're sanctified the moment we're saved. But again, the Lord wants to do a work of sanctification, of holiness in our lives. But now we can through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now we can. Now we have the ability to do that walk. And now this man is able, he's able to go into the temple. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just as we were praying this morning, we're able to enter the throne room of grace to, help, to find help in time of trouble. I'm talking about prayer and worship. We can now enter before the Lord. And then look what he did. He's full of joy, walking and leaping and praising God. Do you remember the first time you turned your heart to the Lord, maybe turned back to the Lord or gave your heart to the Lord the very first time? Do you remember how you felt afterwards? You know, I can't wait to tell anybody you're leaping and we may not physically leaping, but your heart's leaping and you're, you're full of joy and stuff. And after a while, <clears throat> sometimes that kind of fades. And if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I've lost my joy. Maybe this morning you need to pray like David did in Psalms. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's a prayer I do every once in a while. Lord, I, I need that joy back. <coughs> the other thing we see is he's hanging out with the apostles. We'll see that later on. Now, there's two ways to view it. I love my helpmate. Thank you. <laughs> She knows what I need when I need it. Bless you. We'll find out later that he's just kind of hanging out with the apostles. And there's two ways to view it, and I think both are right. Hanging out with the apostles. When you're saved, what, what, what do we do, man? We tell people, hey, pray, get involved in a fellowship, and read the word of God. Stay in the word. And so staying in the apostles, teaching the word. And then also staying in literal fellowship, so important. And so we see these spiritual pictures of this man that was physically healed from being lame. Verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us 
as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk. Listen, if there's a true work of the Holy Spirit, you know what's going to happen? The Spirit's going to be, or the Jesus is going to be glorified, not man. For so many of us, you put yourself in Peter's position here. You're going to the temple to pray. The Spirit gives you a divine appointment. You're, you're trusting the Lord. You take a step of faith and you, you pray. Whether you, you know, you, 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 the Lord works through you to perform this healing. And then all this crowd comes around you. How would that feel? Pretty good. Pretty good, I think. Right? For many of us, I think, this would be a point of temptation. To think of ourselves more highly than we ought. You might think to yourself, nah, that's not me. How many of us like public recognition? You know, you're in a, you're in a room and all of a sudden you hear your name. You go, they're talking about me. You know, you want to know what they're talking about. I was, uh, I'm not immune from that, I'll be honest with you. I was uh, on a phone call Tuesday. And it was with all the different cities that are doing the tour here on, the, on this uh, God Loves You tour. And... Uh, the vice president of the of Billy Graham Association is talking, and all of a sudden he mentions Calvary Chapel, Rochester. <sighs> yeah, that's me, man. That's me. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's that's a human nature, right? This is a real temptation when God works through you to try to take credit, especially when people are fawning over you. It's uh, they weren't fawning over me, but in this situation, you know, when people are fawning over you. They were fawning over Peter. <laughs> they weren't fawning over me. They're probably like, "How? Who let this guy in?" I'm sure. <laughs> you know. <laughs> this is what we see here is true humility, and you know the thing is, if you go through the Bible and you look at the people that God uses in miraculous ways, that's one. That's one common thing that you'll see in all those stories is humility. I'll give you a few examples. Joseph. Here, Joseph, God has given him the unique ability to interpret dreams. And he's brought before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's already got a track record of answering, uh, of, of interpreting dreams. And Pharaoh's like, hey, are you the guy? What does Joseph say? Genesis 41, verse 16, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Daniel, standing before another king, before Nebuchadnezzar, also able to interpret dreams. An amazing work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And what does he say? Daniel 2 verse 30. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. I'm not better than anyone else in my vernacular. Peter, later on in chapter 10, before Cornelius, remember the Italian guy that had this vision? When Peter comes to him, you know what he does? He gets down on his knees and worships Peter. How many of you would like somebody to worship you, you know? Hopefully nobody, but... <laughs> Peter says, stand up. I myself am a man. Later on, in the, and we'll get to it, Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are at Lystra. And this whole city starts worshiping them as their Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. And uh, Paul says, men, in fact, they tear their clothes first, they're grieving. And then he says, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you. You go through all the times when the Lord's working through somebody, you don't see pride. You see humility, true humility. And I think that's a key thing. 
Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You know, the Bible says that we've all been given spiritual gifts. And hopefully you know what your spiritual gift is. Hopefully you're, 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 you're moving in the gifts that the Lord's giving you, that the Holy Spirit's given you. But it is very easy to get prideful. And we need to guard ourselves against that. Listen, if someone gives you recognition in some way, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't seek your own glory. And that's exactly what we see here. Peter doesn't start talking about himself. Well, let me tell you my testimony. No, he doesn't start talking about himself at all. He starts preaching Jesus Christ to the crowd gathered. And by the way, this is primarily a Jewish crowd, and we'll see that in what he says. So this is a true work of the Holy Spirit through Peter. We see Peter's boldness. That's a miracle in itself when you think of what Peter was doing before. And then second, we hear Peter's message to them, and it's all about Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Jesus Christ. And so Peter here in verse 13 says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. This is a thing that the Holy Spirit does, convicts the world of sin. And again, now he's speaking to Jewish people. And so he says, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So right away, they're like, okay, he's speaking our language. And then Peter uses the same terms the scripture uses for the Messiah out of the Old Testament. He says, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, the King James Version, is the, it's translated son, but son can also specifically mean servant. So I think the New King James, in this, in this application anyways, I think it's a more accurate uh, translation here. The God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. What's he referring to? Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, the Lord's chosen servant. And Isaiah 52, verse 13, the Lord's suffering servant. And those guys knew what he was talking about. They knew the scriptures. So the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, but the, uh, whom you delivered, excuse me, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And if you recall the story in the Gospels, Pilate's like, I don't see anything wrong in this guy. And he wanted to wash his hands. And people are like, if you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar's. And they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Listen, the Jews, they're guilty. And, and Peter's making a point. You guys, you guys are the ones that crucified him. Pilate even wanted to let him go. But listen, Pilate, uh, excuse me, the Jews couldn't crucify Christ without the, 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 the permission or the, the participation of the Romans. And so in all reality, both Jew and Gentile are guilty. And you might say, well, you know, I wasn't there. Well, in all reality, it was your and my sin is why Jesus Christ was crucified in the first place for our sin. 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all guilty, not just the Jewish people here. But he says, but you denied the Holy One and the just. You denied the Holy One. Again, that's Psalm 16, verse 10. The Lord's Holy One would not see corruption. They knew that scripture. And the just. Isaiah 45, verse 21, speaking about the just God and Savior. You denied him and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life. That is ironic, right? Here, rather than allowing Pilate to release Jesus, they cry out, crucify him, and they ask for a murderer. He's speaking of Barabbas, a murderer who takes life, and they killed the prince or the source of life. How ironic is that? whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. You know, what's interesting about this. The work of the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict Scripture. And, and the, the, the Holy Spirit's doing a work here, not only in healing this man, but also through Peter and John. And Peter and John are really fulfilling what the Lord said that they would do. In Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's starting. It's being fulfilled. They're being witnesses in Jerusalem. Verse 16, And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So I was thinking about this this week. Whose faith is Peter speaking about? It doesn't happen, to, it doesn't appear anyways in my mind to be the lame man. Peter didn't say, you know, if you believe enough, then rise up. If you take a step of faith, you know, uh, if you have enough faith, you can be healed. I think it's Peter's faith that's being shown here. He reached out his hand. He told the lame man to stand to his feet. What took place here, I believe, besides the, the, the miracle of healing, the gift of healing, I think at this point, Peter is given the gift of faith that's described in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. The gift of faith. Now, I'm not talking about saving faith. Okay, we're all saved by faith. Right? We're saved by grace through faith. We all have to have safe to, faith to be saved. But this is the gift of faith that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. What is the gift of faith? It simply is the supernatural ability to trust God in a certain situation at a particular time. And God gives people that gift of faith in certain circumstances. If you've ever seen the movie Faith Like Potatoes, if you've never seen it, watch it. It's an amazing story of a man who had the gift of faith in, in amazing ways. It's a, it's a pretty cool story. Verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Well, what were they ignorant of? I mean, he just said, you crucified, and they, he went through all these titles of the Messiah. What were they ignorant of? Well, they weren't ignorant of God's wonders and signs, right? They, they seen, they witnessed all the miracles Jesus did. And Jesus told them in John 10, if I do not do the... If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So they, they should have known just by the works that Jesus was the Messiah. 
They should have known when John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus Christ to be the Christ, their Messiah. When they heard Jesus speaking, he proclaimed himself to be the Messiah. They should have known that. They knew Pilate had proclaimed him innocent, and yet they called, uh, and yet they called out to crucify him. What was their ignorance? They knew all these things, and yet Peter, and I think this is a very merciful thing to say, you're guilty of sin, but you did it in ignorance. Their ignorance, I believe, was spiritual blindness. The God of this world had blinded their eyes. You know, sometimes when people are persecuting us, not that we've been, I don't know how many of you have been through persecution like people in other countries. I haven't been. But when you're going through something and someone mistreats you, maybe it's not because of your faith necessarily, but some, someone just does something terrible to you, it's easy to look at them as an enemy. It's easy to look at them as they're the opposition. We have to remember the God of this world's blinded their eyes. They're not the enemy. They're deceived. They're ignorant. And that's what Peter is saying here. I mean, think about it. Even the disciples were ignorant about Christ's resurrection. They didn't believe he was rose from the dead until they saw him. They were ignorant as, too, as well. But what Peter is getting across here, their ignorance does not equal innocence. They sinned, but they needed to know that God is merciful. You know, even as Jesus was being crucified, what did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He was praying to the Father while they're crucifying him, and the Father answered his prayer. And they're, now they're getting the opportunity to be forgiven. And that's a big point. You know, if Christ can forgive his murderers, man, is there any sin that you've done that Christ can't forgive? <laughs> well, Peter continues, verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, ha he has thus fulfilled. And again, they needed to know that this was part of God's sovereign plan. So verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You recall that Peter said basically the same thing earlier in chapter 2. You know, the spirit, the message the spirit gives is, it might, it might come in a different wrapper, but the message is always the same. The message is to turn people to Christ, to convict the world of sin, and the bottom line message is repent of your sins. What does repent mean? Again, last week we talked about it. It means to change your heart regarding who Jesus Christ is and to change your direction regarding your sin. That's the first step, repenting. And then be converted. That means to cause, to return, to bring back to the love and obedience of God. Now they can really have a relationship with God that they were thought that they were worshiping there at the temple. It says that your sins may be blotted out. That means to wipe off, to wipe away, to obliterate. I love that. You know, we, we commit sin. We confess our sins. 1 John 1, 1.8, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. That, that cleanse us. That means, that means that, that sin is wiped away. It's no longer there anymore. Man, that's the most freeing thing that you and I can experience. And it says, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. 
He's speaking, of course, of Christ's second coming. Verse 22, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning everyone, every one of you from your iniquities. And so it was been prophesied, the prophets all down through the ages were pointing to this event, this time, this season. And God's plan always was to bring the gospel to the Jewish person first and then to the Gentile. We'll see that played out as we go through the book of Acts. But God's heart is to bless his people, in this case Israel, then later on to bless the whole earth. But the blessing comes from turning away from sin. That's where the blessing is. I know sometimes people want blessing in their life. They want God to bless them, but, but they're not willing to give up a sin. You, you, need to, you need to turn from your sin. You need to deal with the sin in your life in order to receive God's blessing. God can't bless you if you're in sin, if you're in disobedience. And so if you want blessing, man, repent of your sins, turn to the Lord, and that time of refreshing, man, that comes. It's God is such a merciful God. Well, just a sneak peek for next week. I know we just made it through chapter 3. But if you, if you want to turn your Bibles there to verse, chapter 4, verse 4, this will be, we'll, we'll get into chapter 4 next week. But many of those who heard believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So think about it. They started out with 120 believers there in that upper room in Pentecost. Then the miracle, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter gives his first sermon, and 3,000 people are added. So now they've got 3,120, roughly. And now they have another 5,000. That makes 8,120. And those are men, 5,000 men. So who knows how many women, including that. What a multitude. What a mighty work of the Holy Spirit. There's fruit there. We see that. Listen, I think we look at all these lessons, but... I don't know about you. I know I go through and I pray like with, with these. I've been praying, Lord, give me divine appointments. Give me some. And he has. He's, I've, we've got some pretty cool stories of people that we've met and stuff. But do you want the Holy Spirit to do a mighty work through your life this morning? Do you want that? And you need to heed the lessons from a work of God's Spirit. And I just want to review them. First of all, are you in a place of readiness for a work of the Spirit? Are, are, you, are you following after your flesh or are you following after the Spirit? You've got to be in that place. Do you view disruptions to your routine as an annoyance or could it possibly be a divine appointment? Don't miss those divine appointments. Don't look at, don't start out your day thinking, you know, I, I got to get this done. Well, I, I do that. I mean, you know, it's good to have goals because if you aim at nothing, you'll reach, you'll hit nothing. But so you got to aim things, aim at things. 
But if the Lord initiates a dis, you know, it disrupts your schedule, man, recognize it. Recognize it. Don't consider it an annoyance. And that can be a challenge sometimes. Don't miss Holy Spirit initiated appointments. And part of that, which I think hinges with it, is don't miss the individual that God puts in front of you. Don't miss that one person. Get into a conversation or you just, there's an opportunity, man. Don't miss that because that could be the one that the Holy Spirit's trying to reach that day for you or through you. Do you have anything to give someone? Man, let God's word richly dwell in you. And if, Lord willing, the Spirit chooses to do a mighty work through you and you see some awesome thing happened, man, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't seek your own glory. Keep the focus on Christ because a true work of the Spirit will always magnify Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray? I'll have the worship team come up while we're praying.